Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching. Our reading is from Genesis 45, 1 through 15. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send every, everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. The word of the Lord. So I had several people this week look at this uh, text with me. And the general uh, consensus was, what are you going to do with this? <laughs> that was actually my mother's reaction just this morning when she showed up. What are you, you going to do with this? Uh, Thank you, everybody, for being here today. Thank you to those of you who are with us in the chapel, and thank you again to those of us, those of you who are with us at home. We uh, appreciate you being a part of this community. Uh, Will mentioned we are in ordinary time. This is actually the 12th Sunday. Let me make sure I check my notes here. The 12th Sunday after Pentecost. There are 26 Sundays in ordinary time, which means that next week marks the halfway point of ordinary time, which means we're going to blink and it's going to be Advent. Time just sort of flies that way, right? Uh, again, I, I imagine all the parents in the room are counting the moments until back to school, so maybe time isn't flying so much right now, but trust me, in the big picture, it really is. It really is. And of course, ordinary time is this period of time 
where we focus on being ordinary apprentices of Jesus, learning how to do that well, learning how to do that better, learning what goes into being an ordinary apprentice. And I think one of the central elements, one of the central points of being an apprentice of Jesus is understanding the nature of forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness. Jesus talks about it constantly throughout the New Testament. In Matthew 5, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And remember, when Jesus is talking about enemies in the first century in this context, he's not talking about the people you just kind of don't like. He's not talking about that coworker that annoys the jabbers out of you. He's not even talking about the person that cut you off on the freeway here today. He's talking about the Romans. He's talking about people actively persecuting his people. He's talking about people who are killing his people. That's what he means by enemies. That's who he commands us to love and to pray for and to forgive, which is a big ask. But God likes to do big things. In Matthew chapter 18, I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 6, he says specifically, forgive and you will be forgiven. We are to forgive as ordinary apprentices because we have been forgiven. God has forgiven our sins. God has forgiven our mistakes. God has forgiven us for all the times we've fallen short of the mark. And the ask is, we do that for each other as God has done for us. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. In Matthew chapter 18, the author writes, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if my brother and sister or sister sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Or you'll see some translations say 70 times, seven times. This is Peter walking up thinking he's kind of got, I love Peter. He's so confident and he's so wrong and it's just great. He's just human in the way that he does things, right? But he comes up, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? I mean, he's popping his shoulder out of joint, patting himself on the back for coming up with seven. Because remember, in Hebrew, numbers have meaning. When you hear seven, you think creation automatically tied to creation, seven days of creation, wholeness, completeness, tov, for those of you who are old school Genesisers. Tov is this idea of good. When God looks and sees that something is good, that word good is tov. But it's not just good, it's the kind of good that begets more good. It's the planting of a seed that grows into a plant that drops more seed that grows into another plant. It's that kind of ongoing life goodness. That's when we say seven Peter is is trying to dig at all that imagery. So he really thinks he's got this. And Jesus comes along and says, no, you're not even close. It's 70 times 7, which is, it's like saying 511. It's just a made-up number that means there is no end to the forgiveness. That, yeah, you forgive somebody today and tomorrow and next week and next month and next year and on and on and on as that seed grows into a new plant, grows into more seed and on and on. And of course, the ultimate example of forgiveness in Luke 23, as Jesus is on the cross, his mind is not on vengeance. His mind is not on retribution. His mind is not on, darn these people that have done this to me, that have caused me this pain, that have caused me this suffering. But his mind is focused on forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness is all throughout Christ's ministry. And so in our portion today, this chapter 45 passage from from, uh, Genesis, we find the patriarch Joseph in a position where he has a choice to forgive, to choose to forgive, or to choose vengeance. And how he makes that decision and why he makes that decision, I think, presents lessons for all of us who seek to be ordinary apprentices 
of Christ. So to accurately understand this decision that Joseph is about to make, this point that where he's at, we've got to go back to the beginning of his story, which is back in Genesis 37. That's where we first meet Joseph. And I'll do the thumbnail sketch history and try to keep this as short as humanly possible. But you have to understand how Joseph got to this point to really understand the decision that he's making in this moment. Remember, Abraham's son was Isaac. Isaac's son had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob had a son. Jacob had 12 sons, the youngest of which is named Joseph. Jacob, remember, takes on the name Israel, which will become important. So that's the lineage of the patriarchs as as we get to Joseph in chapter 37 of Genesis. Joseph was, was given the gift, some might say it was a curse, of receiving and being able to interpret visions in his dreams. What Joseph wasn't given is a lot of tact in how he described those dreams and visions and interpretations to other people. So we find Joseph in chapter 37 at 17 years old. A lot of 17-year-olds lack tact. That really isn't necessarily something we should expect of the lad, I would imagine. But he has a couple of dreams, and in both dreams, he interprets them as showing him elevated somehow above his brothers. And instead of going to his brothers and saying, you guys, I had the craziest dream. I don't, this is nuts. This doesn't make any sense to me, but there was these things, and it kind of made me feel like I was elevated above you guys, but I'm the youngest. I shouldn't be elevated above you. I, what do you, you know, instead of kind of coming to them with a humility like that, he shows up excited. Guys, you're never going to believe this. I had these crazy dreams. They were awesome, and they had me elevated above you guys. Isn't that cool? <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. The brothers don't think it's cool. They don't like this at all. I remember, you know, the hierarchy of the oldest brother to the youngest brother meant a lot back in these times. And for the youngest brother to come and say, I'm elevated above all you guys, uh uh-uh. That's not cool. That's not cool at all. In fact, they're so angry about it that they find themselves off shepherding the flocks of the family. Jacob sends Joseph out to check on them, and the brothers see this as an opportunity to, to conspire against Joseph. And in fact, initially, their conspiracy is to kill him. But one of the brothers named Reuben talks them out of that, And their genius plan goes from killing him to, hey, here's some travelers. Let's sell him to him as a slave. Let's do that. And we'll take his robe, and we'll smear some blood on it, and we'll tell Dad that he got killed by a wild animal. Everybody will believe it, and it'll be great. This is their genius plan. So they do that. They sell him to these travelers. These travelers then take Joseph to Egypt. In Egypt, they sell him to one of Pharaoh's top generals. As he's a slave to Pharaoh's top general, he slowly builds the general's confidence to the point where the general trusts him so much that he puts him in charge of the whole household. So Joseph has sort of risen above you know, being made this slave to a degree that you can rise above and still be a slave. So the general's off on a campaign somewhere, and Mrs. General kind of takes a shine to Joseph and suggests you know, maybe they hang out. And Joseph says, no, that's a bad idea. I can't do that. You're a married woman. This is not kosher, right? Mrs. General's upset and offended by this. So when the general comes home, she tells the general that Joseph tried to rape her. Not cool. The general's upset and has Joseph thrown in jail. So Joseph goes from a slave to the top slave to now being in jail. But while he's in jail, he earns the trust of the jailer and works the way up to the degree you can work your way up as an inmate. And the jailer ends up trusting him so much that he puts him in charge of all the rest of the inmates. And being in charge of the rest of the inmates, 
Joseph meets a couple of guys who were formerly members of Pharaoh's court. One was a cupbearer and one was a baker. And they start having dreams in jail that they can't interpret. Joseph is able to interpret them. For the cupbearer, the interpretation is you're going to end up back in Pharaoh's court. Everything's going to be okay. For the baker, eh, not so much. Baker ends up meeting a tragic end. But Joseph tells the cupbearer, hey, when you get back to court, I really shouldn't be here in jail. Maybe you can remember, remember me, put in a good word. You know, I helped you out here. Cupbearer says, sure, and promptly forgets that. Until, until Pharaoh has a pair of dreams that nobody in his court, including the people he specifically pays to do this, can interpret these dreams. And that's when the cupbearer remembers, oh, hey, wait a minute, there's this guy in jail who can interpret dreams. Go get him. He can tell you what these dreams mean. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph and brings Joseph in. And Joseph interprets the Pharaoh's dream. The first dream of Pharaoh, Joseph interprets as God saying there's going to be seven years of abundance in the land. The second dream of Pharaoh, Joseph interprets as saying after that seven years of abundance, there's going to be seven years of famine. So Joseph says what you need to do is set aside a fifth of each year's harvest during the abundant times so that when you hit the famine, everybody's going to be okay. And not only will all of Egypt have enough grain, but you'll have so much grain you'll be able to sell it to other neighboring nations, and Egypt will be a rich and prosperous country. Pharaoh's impressed by this, says, you know what? You be in charge of that program. And so Joseph becomes a member of court and eventually works his way up to being essentially second-in-command vice-pharaoh, if you will. <laughs> but it works out exactly as Joseph says. There's seven years of abundance. They set aside a fifth of each year's harvest. They get to those years of famine. Egypt's set to go, and all kinds of people come to Egypt trying to buy grain, which is what brings us to this point. Because some of those people that are coming to buy grain from Egypt happen to be Joseph's brothers. Jacob sends the brothers to Egypt to buy grain. And they end up in front of the guy running the program, who is the brother that they sold into slavery. And suddenly, Joseph has himself a decision to make. Because, and here's a big key to this, when the brothers show up, they don't recognize who Joseph is. They don't know who he is. It's been 20 years. They don't recognize him at all. Joseph sure recognizes them. So he's got a sense of anonymity. He holds the power of life and death over these 11 brothers who sold him into slavery and nearly killed him. And whatever he's going to do, he can do without anybody knowing that it's him doing it. So let's make that an all play. Put yourself in that spot for a minute. In all seriousness, what's the gut reaction there? What's your gut reaction? You're in that spot, you hold this power, and you can exercise it anonymously. Juicy. 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 Thank you, Bob. What else? What is, what is the reaction? What is your gut reaction in that moment? Mm. Come on their way. Nate says to avoid it. Charge them double. Charge them double. Corey, yeah, charge them double. Soak the suckers. <laughs> Let's go. What else? What else? I mean, let's just be honest. The vengeance is right there. Yeah. It's right there. And any of us, if we're being honest, would be tempted. These guys sold him into slavery, ended having up with him in jail, and jails were not... I mean, even modern jail is no fun, but it's nothing compared to jail at that period of time. He's been through some stuff, and now here they are, and they don't even know it's him. What's he going to do? What's he going to do becomes the central point of the story, right? 
We all, every single day, have that choice to make. Maybe not on this level, but we face opportunities to offer forgiveness or to offer recompense. We have that choice every day. So what does Joseph do? It looks like, when you first look at this scripture, it looks like his choice is forgiveness. And it was shocking to me, actually, how many commentaries that I read on this passage that said, Joseph is God's man. Look, he could have chosen vengeance, but he chose forgiveness. And I'm like, did you read the preceding two or three chapters? <laughs> because in 45, this time where the brothers are appearing in front of him is actually the second time they come to be in front of Joseph. The first time they come to be in front of Joseph, again, not knowing who he is, they come to buy grain, they brought a bunch of silver, and the first thing Joseph does is accuse them of being spies. Okay, well, that's not good. So they're already a little nervous. Then he finally decides to go ahead and sell, sell, sell them the grain, sends them off with the grain, but has his people secretly put the silver that they brought to pay for it back into their bags. So they get about two-thirds of the way home and realize, well, wait a minute, we've still got this silver. Not only does he think we're spies, now he thinks we're thieves. And there's a whole intervening story about another brother named Benjamin that's back home that Joseph insists, if you're going to come back a second time, you've got to bring this other brother, knowing that the father is not going to want to send the other brother. It's a whole thing. He's messing with their heads in a big way. So there's a period of time here where Joseph is making this decision between vengeance and recompense and forgiveness, and he doesn't go right to forgiveness. You could be forgiven if you didn't read the whole story about thinking, oh, no, he just goes right for forgiveness. Nuh-uh. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. But he does eventually, in this second opportunity, choose forgiveness. Why? There's two main reasons that he chooses forgiveness. The first reason is he looks at it and he recognizes that through all of the stuff that has happened to him, because of his brother's choice to sell him into slavery, God has worked through all of that to bring about good. Just look at the text. In verse 5, he says, God sent me before you to preserve life. In verse 7, God sent me to, before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and keep alive for you many survivors. Remember, Joseph and his 12 brothers formed the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph's father is Jacob. Jacob becomes named Israel by God. By saving this family, if Joseph had chosen vengeance, if he had chosen to either jail his brothers or kill his brothers or send them home without food and let them starve, there is no Israel. Or God has to find another way. But this is the choice through which God has managed to save that remnant, to save Israel, to have there be a nation of Israel. If you look at verse 8, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now there's some nuance here, because when he says, so it was not you who sent me here, but God, you can be forgiven if you assume that that means that it was God that made the choice to sell him into slavery so that he could end up here. That's not the case. That's not the case. Joseph's brothers, we all, God has given all of us human beings agency, has given us all the ability to choose. Joseph's brothers made a choice, a tragically bad choice, but they made a choice. In light of that choice, God can intervene. God can guide. And, I mean, those travelers could have sold Joseph anywhere, but they sold him to Egypt. And they could have sold him to anyone, but he sold him to one of the top generals that could help Joseph prosper. And okay, there was a setback. Joseph ends up in jail. That's not good. But God uses the jailing to get him into Pharaoh's court so that Joseph can be in a position that when the brothers come, 
Joseph is able to save all of Israel. God has guided this, given what the brothers chose to do. God doesn't cause evil. God brings good out of evil choices. And Joseph recognizes that. If Joseph had taken that opportunity to choose vengeance, in a way, he's working now against God. He sees God having done all of this good, but to pay vengeance towards his brothers is to pay vengeance towards all of the good that God has done. If forgiveness is a core part of of God's character, as Jesus showed us throughout the entirety of the New Testament, then in this moment, given all the work that God has done, the thing to do as an ordinary apprentice is to be forgiving. And that's what Joseph sees, and that's what Joseph does. The second thing that Joseph, reason that Joseph chooses forgiveness is I think he's gained some wisdom. I describe wisdom this way. I say that knowledge is the things we know, the facts and the figures and the, the, the things that we have learned. Wisdom is understanding how much more stuff there is out there we, we don't know. Remember, Joseph was 17 when he had these dreams and when his brothers sold him into slavery. The text earlier says that he was 30 when he entered Pharaoh's service. And now there's seven years of abundance. And our current text says that we're in the second year of the famine. So he's 39 years old now. I would hope, as a 39-year-old, I was a bit wiser than I was as a 17-year-old. I know now when I look back at some of the stuff that I did as a teenager, I'm horrified at some of the things I said and some of the things that I did and just how dumb they were. And so I can easily imagine Joseph sitting there going, you know, I was kind of a jerk about those dreams. Which doesn't to excuse what his brothers did to him, but it's to recognize that in any decision we make, there are a thousand different factors that go into that decision. Joseph's brothers made that decision, and they made it maliciously. They made it knowing exactly what they were doing. But there's a bunch of different factors that go into it, and understanding what we don't know gives us room to have grace, gives us room to have mercy, gives us room to be forgiving. If you think about the own, your own mistakes, and I've got a list, If you think about your own mistakes and think about what went into those mistakes and think about how much other people can't see into what goes into those mistakes, there's room for grace. There's room for mercy. There's room for forgiveness. And I think Joseph recognizes that in this moment. So what do we take away from this? What do we learn? What do we, how do we interpret, how we take what Joseph has done and bring it into our own lives? I think the first thing we have to recognize is that, yeah, God is working for good in all of our lives, in all the bad, horrible, terrible, junky things that happen in our lives. God's trying to bring good out of that, trying to partner with us to bring good out of that. And that doesn't always mean a storybook ending. Even in this case, you get to the end of this and it feels like, hey, big family reunion, the father Jacob and the other brother Benjamin come and live with Joseph in Egypt and they have all this flourishing in Goshen and it's great. Remember, this is what brings the Israelites to Egypt, where a generation or two later, there's another pharaoh who doesn't know Joseph, doesn't care for Joseph. He just sees this big group of Israelites and thinks, there's a resource I can exploit. There's some people I can enslave. And 400 years of that slavery later, we get to the Exodus. So did it really work out? I mean, kind of. And then not so much. And then kind of. Life is complicated. Right? Life is messy. Life is very much not a storybook ending. So we can, we can both acknowledge that God is working for good, and we can see the good that God does, and realize that it doesn't always mean the big happy ending for everybody all the time. 
We can also look at this story and say that forgiveness is a choice. Joseph was absolutely tempted by vengeance, absolutely considering wreaking vengeance upon the people that had hurt him. He chose to be forgiving. And it's a choice he had to continue to make. There's Jerry Seinfeld does a bit, and he's talking about breaking up with people, but it makes, it's the same thing. He says, you can't just tip over a vending machine all at once. You got to rock it back and forth a few times and get it tipsing, and then it's going to go over, right? That's how he describes breaking up with somebody. I want to describe forgiving somebody that way. It's hard to do in one shot. It is, because we're so tempted for that, towards that vengeance. We got to rock it back and forth a few times, and, then, and just what Joseph did, and then it finally tipped over for him. Forgiveness is a choice, and it's a choice that ordinary apprentices need to make every day. Because once you've decided to forgive somebody, you ever wake up the next day and go, okay, I'm not really sure that was such a good idea. It's a choice we have to make and keep making over and over, and we have to be intentional about it. And that's part of being an ordinary apprentice is that intentionality. And ultimately, we have to understand that forgiveness is part, the goal of forgiveness is restoring relationship. And that's a tough one. God has forgiven us through the sacrifice of Christ for the purpose of us being in covenantal relationship with God, of restoring that relationship with God. That's the point of God forgiving us. And what he asks of us is to then forgive others in the same fashion and restore those and heal those relationships. Joseph forgives his brothers because he wants to reestablish the relationship with his brothers. He wants to reestablish a relationship with his father, with this other brother that he doesn't know as our kids start to return. It's that restoration of relationship that's the important part. And, and forgiveness isn't always immediately received or well-received or ever-received. Look at verse 15. We're going to do another all play here real quickly before we wrap up. Verse 15 says, And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. What do you notice about verse 15 there? What do you notice about the brothers' reaction? Joseph is kissing and weeping and hugging, and his brothers are just talking. Just talking. Is that an even response? No. Can you imagine a scenario where the brothers are sitting there going, this guy kind of messed with us a couple of different times. Now he's kissing and hugging on us. We really did something awful to him. Are we sure this is cool? Right? I mean, you can imagine where that isn't fully restored yet. The goal of forgiveness is restoration of relationship. That's the trajectory. That's the goal that we're headed towards. We may not get there right away. We may not get there in this life. Sometimes people just won't accept forgiveness. You can forgive someone, but if they're not going to accept it, that's their choice. It's still worth it to forgive. It's still worth it to be on that trajectory because that's the guy, that's the goal. That's the aim. That's what God has pointed us towards. That's the relationship that we have with God. That's the relationship God asks us to ask, have with each other. Jesus has asked, what are the two most important commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, and soul, and love each other as I have loved you. That means forgiving, the way that we're forgiven. Those two are inexorably connected. The choices that we make ripple throughout 
all of the generations. Joseph made this decision. Through making this decision, Israel happened. Israel doesn't happen without Joseph making this decision. Joseph has no idea when he's making this decision that's what's going to happen. He has no clue. And he probably never knows. He probably is dead before he ever realizes the nation that Israel turns into, right? The decisions we make ripple through generations, and they echo in eternity. God has promised all of us a role in bringing about the kingdom, a role in restoring creation. But that, that relies on us to make decisions. And the kinds of decisions that, re, that relies on us to make are decisions towards forgiveness, are decisions towards restoration, are decisions towards relationship. Which sounds great, right? But let's be honest, forgiveness isn't simple. It isn't obvious, it isn't clean, it isn't neat, it isn't tidy. It, it, it's complicated and it's nuanced and it challenges, challenges us in ways that test the very foundation of our faith. It just does. That's the reality. I'm not sugarcoating this. It's hard. It's very hard. And it's the gift that God has given us. And it's the gift God asks us to give each other. The invitation from God is to participate in the flow towards God's fully realized kingdom through forgiveness, through restoration, through relationship. And as Will pointed out, it's through the empowerment of the Spirit. It's through the reminding of the Spirit that we're able to make those choices, to be in in intentional, to choose forgiveness today and tomorrow and next week and next month and on and on and on. Amen? Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. Creating opportunities for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us no matter what life throws our way. Our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, ourselves, and others wholeheartedly. If you have any questions or would like to connect with Please us, visit genesiscov.org. Thank you.